morning, Woodside. How are you doing? It's great to see you all. And I'm pumped because it's officially fall and fall weather is upon us. Anyone else a lover of fall? Amen. Me and that guy in the back over there, that's awesome. I love it. Cool weather, cooler at least has come. And um, it's just an amazing season to have uh, if you like the outdoors or just enjoy the turning of the seasons. For me, it's my favorite. Uh, all the while knowing that it's a grieving season because winter is coming. Amen. And we have to endure uh, for a little while, but then hope comes. Um, that's today, my opening illustration for our sermon today. I'm playing. Uh, if you'd like to turn to uh, Mark chapter 3 this morning, Mark chapter 3 this morning, that's where we're going to be, verses 7 through 19. If you're new to our church, my name is Jim, and um, it's so great to have you with us. And the fall has come upon us, and like I said, and now I'm looking out, and here is a, a wave of people that are not going to summer cottages and are here, and uh, it's going to be great. I'm sure kids' ministry downstairs is busting at the seams, but what an amazing thing to have a church that has so many young people. And um, I'm excited to open up God's Word with you today, even in this new series we're starting in the Gospel of Mark, not the entirety of Mark, but just some specific chapters in a series that we're calling Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. And much of the book of Mark, or the Gospel of Mark, is about the kingdom reign of Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at that specifically in our own lives as we enter into the fall. We're going to be studying Mark all the way until our Christmas series. So we're going to be in it for <coughs> a couple of weeks and I'm, I'm just pumped to be able to look at the life of Jesus with you. Just chapters 3 through 5 over uh, the course of a number of weeks. And to dive in and see what happened when Jesus came. When Jesus' kingdom touched earth, what was the impact that it made? You see, Jesus prophesied about, he was hoped for, people waited, and then the moment comes when, when Jesus arrives on the scene bringing his kingdom with him, and what happens? I mean, what's the result? What's the impact? And how does it impact not just their lives in the gospel of Mark and the people that are living at their time, but how does it impact your life? I mean, it's, it's great to be a reader of Scripture, to know Scripture, but until it reaches the point with which it impacts our lives, our day-to-day -day operational life, what's the real point? And we'll get into a little bit of that today even, but, but our, our attempt is, and what we would love to see happen, is looking at how the kingdom of God impacts the world when Jesus comes, and how then it should impact us and how we live. And uh, Mark sets up some really key verses here in the gospel of Mark in chapter 1 that we need to look at before we dive into chapter 3. There's a key verse in chapter 1, verse 15, maybe the crux of all of what's happening in the kingdom, uh, excuse me, in, in the gospel of Mark when he says this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus is showing up on the, on the scene and immediately he's saying, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. The waiting is over. The kingdom of God has arrived. It's actually here. And because it's arrived, there's some impact, right? And, and so we're going to see in the next two chapters, Jesus, like his active ministry in verses, excuse me, in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, before we dive into what we're going to look at in chapter and all the while, we'll read just a quick summary in a moment, but Jesus is there and man, man, the teaching of the kingdom is going forward. Jesus is confronting religious leaders 
with much effort, right? He's healing the sick, as we'll even see today. He's casting out demons. All of this stuff is happening because there is impact when the kingdom of God touches earth. And so Mark sets up this in the passage, part of the passage we're going to look at today. Mark has this really nice summary of all that what Jesus has been doing. I'll have it on the screen. You want to read it with me. Chapter 3, verse 7. We're going down to verse 12. This is what it says. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Indomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because, the crowd le- because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, listen to this, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. I just love it that even the demons declare who Jesus is. You are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So, you know, Jesus waited for, he's prophesied about all these things. He shows up on the scene and the crowds are crazy. They're everywhere. People are coming from all over the known world, hundreds of miles away from every direction, just to be able to maybe touch Jesus and be healed, right? And the demons are going crazy. They're, they're declaring in Jesus' presence as he shows up on the scene, someone's demon possessed, hey, you are the son of God, Right? The kingdom of God is moving forward. You see, this is the thing. The arrival of Jesus is sending shockwaves through the, the earthly world and the spiritual world. So people are coming from miles and miles away, and even the spiritual world, demonic uh, individuals are, are being released and even being recognized. And it just gives us a little bit of a hint of what the kingdom of God should do now on the earth. It should send earthly shockwaves in the known world, and it should send spiritual shockwaves. Man, I'll just stop and preach right here for the rest of the time. Your life and my life should send spiritual shockwaves in Lake Orion, Oxford, Rochester Hills, Auburn Hills, Ortonville, Clarkston, wherever you're from, there should be spiritual shockwaves because you're living, you're a part of, as we'll see today, the kingdom of God with Jesus as your king. And there should be kingdom shockwaves that are moving forward in all of this and you see, Jesus is really, in essence, overturning the effects of the, of the fall, right? That what happened all the way back in Genesis. Jesus is beginning to overturn that. Sickness is being cured. Demons are being destroyed. People from every nation are being united around one man. Or you could say it like this, and this is what I want you to see today, is that Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth. And that's what it should be doing in our lives as we live out kingdom purposes in the places we do life. Your life should bring heaven to earth. My life should be a piece of heaven coming to earth. This church should be like the spiritual kingdom that we look forward to living here on earth, fulfilling the kingdom of God. That Jesus, man, his reign, which is in you and me, and his church is the body of Christ going forward, should bring heaven to earth. As the new era has begun, and going forward, things are being undone, bodies are being made whole, dark spirits are being subdued, divided people are being brought together. This is what happens 
in the kingdom of God. This is what happens when Jesus comes forward. Now, with all of that, that sounds great. There's lots of positive things happen. But in the midst of all of it, as Jesus is teaching, there's crowds and throngs of people that are coming to see Jesus. But not all of them have the same motivation. They have mixed feelings. And I, I got to imagine, maybe today here in this room, maybe even people watching online, there's a divided group of people in this room. There's people that have mixed intentions that are present. Not everyone is on the same page, right? See, in Jesus' time, there's just people there that wanted to witness his miracles so they could tell a great story. Man, did you see what he did? That's amazing. There, there, there were people in the crowd that just wanted to receive healing. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't about following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus and, and pushing forward the kingdom of God. They just wanted to be healed. There's some people that just wanted to witness the awe of seeing a blind man get his sight back or whatever it might be, right? And Jesus seems happy to provide healing to all those that were touching him and provide deliverance for all those who were demon-possessed. And I would say the same today. But Jesus is more interested in obtaining followers of himself, not just fans of his. You see, there were people back there that were just fans of Jesus. Man, this guy's incredible. I've seen him do some amazing works. This Jesus released me from being a, a demon-possessed individual. This, this Jesus, he healed me. Man, this Jesus, I love what he does. And I love what he's all about. But Jesus isn't interested in just people fanning over him because he's really amazing. He's looking for followers, committed, active followers that will follow him and push forward the kingdom of God. I don't know, maybe there's people in this room that... I think Jesus is pretty cool. He makes me feel good. There's people online. You just, man, I just, I just like to be around people that Jesus, because Jesus is great. But have we dove in to being a committed, active follower, relieving the crowd and becoming a part of what Jesus is doing and pushing forward the kingdom of God? So in just a few moments, I want to look at these verses. Jesus calling his 12 disciples... And his 12 disciples, as he has many, probably more like 120 disciples, these are his inner 12. And even in the inner 12, you have like 120, then you have like 40, then you have like the 12, then you have even inner three, Peter, James, and John. And there was different levels of discipleship Jesus has there. And we're going to look at him calling his disciples. And what I want you to wrestle with is this, what is distinct about being a disciple of Jesus? Not, not a fan, I think Jesus is pretty cool. But what is distinct about being a follower of Jesus? What distinguishes, what makes up a, a, a true follower of Jesus from everyone else in the world? What, what distinguishes you from being a follower of Jesus? That's what I want to look at today in just a few moments in verses 13 down to 19. And, and what I want to say is just three things. And the first one is, is this, is that I believe that the disciples are called out from the crowd. They are they are wooed out. They are called to follow Jesus. They are called to something. They're not called from something only. They're called to something. As Jesus calls the disciples out of the crowd, look with me in verse 13. He says, and he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. So if we just back up, that's why I read it before. Chapters 1 and 2, there's all kinds of busy ministry happening. And Jesus is, is withdrawing with his disciples to the sea. He tries, but the great crowd he, here follows him, right? We read that. And so much so that he has to get in a boat and teach from there because they were going to, it says in the text that they were going to crush him, like squeeze him. There's so many different people. And, and so he, he, he leaves again now and he wants to withdraw with the disciples to call them to something. 
He withdraws to a mountain. He goes up on the hill country, and here he is with his disciples. And Mark tells us that Jesus called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, right? Jesus not only just trying to get away from the crowds, but he wants to actually call his disciples. And again, I, I said before, many of the people were impressed by Jesus. Many, many of the crowd was really ad- admired what he was doing, maybe even desired it. But not all the crowd was devoted to following Jesus. Not all of them were committed to, to, to apprenticing, really, under Jesus and being a part of him. So here, in order to get them all away from that, he had to call them out of the crowd, to leave the crowds behind, and attach themselves to Jesus in a very exclusive way. Right? He's like, man, I'm going to call you away from everybody else, out of the great crowd, with mixed feelings, some of which like me, some want to be healed by me, some just like my teaching, some like to see my miracles. I'm going to call you out of all of that, just being a fan of Jesus, and I want you to be a committed follower of me, an apprentice of me. This is what I'm calling you to. He's call the disciples out of the crowd, right? It, it reminds me of, of distinguishing Yourself. He wants to distinguish these individuals as a follower of him, not just the crowd, right? So have you ever been to a, an interview for a job and you're like, man, I got to figure out what distinguishes me against the, the rest of the people that are interviewing for this job. I got to somehow present myself. What is it that I have that they don't have to distinguish me, to set me out against the regularity of everyone else? And I have this conversation with my daughters, but even my oldest daughter, with sports, right? And, and it's very, like, super stressful for them, which I hate in travel sports today. And they're always jockeying for position and trying to, 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 to make a tryout and be on a certain team and be a starter, whatever it is. And all of it and all of it, I just say, hey, you know what, have fun and who cares what else happens. Or mom yells a lot, I don't. But you know what, <laughs> it's fine. Um, now I'm playing, but it's fun for us, and it brings about a lot of conversation. But we're always talking about, well, what is it that you have? How do you distinguish yourself when you look out at everyone else? What separates you from everyone else, from the crowd? What pulls you away from the rest of them and makes you distinguish? Like, this is who you are. Man, you have a value that other people don't have. Well, Jesus is somewhat doing the same thing here. The average group of people, the crowds, man, they were oppressed by Jesus. They had admired Jesus. They liked Jesus. And the same is true today. The average person, if you talk to them on the street, not saying he's the Messiah, you asking them about Jesus, they're like, man, I thought Jesus was a pretty cool guy. He has some great stuff to say. Even some very prolific people on social media today that, that seemingly followed Jesus, they just like all of the stuff that Jesus does. If you ask them if you believe he's the Messiah, they're not there yet, which I pray they get there. But a lot of people in the world today, without saying he's the the God of the universe, the Messiah himself, think Jesus is a pretty great dude. Maybe the greatest human to ever live. I like Jesus. But see, Jesus isn't okay with that. He's not just about fanship. He wants to separate them. And this is what Jesus is even doing in this moment. He's separating, as we see in Scripture, the wheat from the chaff. The sheep from the goats, the disciples from the crowds. And he's not looking for people just to like him. He's looking for people to passionately follow him as he calls the disciples out of the crowd, right? I grew up in the King James Version. Anyone else? Most of my scripture I memorized is from the King James. And I like the way it says it in 1 Peter 2.9. It says this. Peter talking to the church, speaking to the church specifically, says, Ye... Those old school words, ye 
are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, listen to this, a peculiar people. A peculiar people. I just love the way that it says that. This is what Peter's, this is what Jesus is even doing. Peter is saying here that he, 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 that we are, as the church, uh, um, not like the crowd, like the rest of, we are peculiar, we're different, we're distinct. And the disciples of Jesus here, uh, Jesus is, is, is calling them out to resist the status quo of the world around them and the crowds that just want to gawk at him, live their life, see him, experience him, whatever. And he's calling them to more than that, to be peculiar, distinct to disciples. He calls them out of the crowd. So just for us this morning, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? One, first, is one that is called out of the crowd, that is distinct from the world. So I just start there with a question that you need to wrestle with today. What in your life makes you distinct from the world? If you tally up all of what you live, how you operate, what comes out of your mouth, what you post on social media, how you spend your money, what you do with your children, what your work ethic is like, where you do life, how you function, the way the world sees you, what makes you distinct from your coworkers? What makes you distinct from your neighbors? What, what makes you distinct, high school students, from all the other students at high school as thousands of you go down the hallways, college students? What makes you distinct from the university you attend and your other college friends? Do you operate like them? Do you think like them? Do you talk like them? Do you love like them or the lack of it? Do you cancel people like them? How do you operate? Or are you still a part of the crowd? Yeah, sure, you may confess that you love Jesus. You want to follow him. But followers of Jesus are called out ones, called out of the crowd to be distinct in, his, in their following of him. So as I ask, like, what makes you distinct? Students, like, if I just put you next to every other student, do you just look like them and operate like them? And I'm not talking about the way you dress. I'm talking about in life, walking. Moms, as you gather together with other moms in the church, outside the church, can people tell that you're a follower of Jesus? Dad's the same. As you parent your kids in life, do people look at a distinctness like, man... The way you operate with your kids is, is different. Those of us, all of us in this room, according to the world, wealthy, the way that the rest of the world sees you and your other friends that have means, do they, they look at the way that you operate with your things and your money? Do they look at that and be like, man, you're a distinct person? Or, or do you use your finances and your, and your stuff like everyone else does in the world? The list could go on and on. Religious people in the room, religious, I would call hypocritical people, as many of us are. Are you someone who's filled with love and care and grace with other Christians in the world? Or are you filled with gossip, judgment, condescending, like you have it all together and no one else does? You see, I'm just asking in every situation, and that might not be yours, what is it that makes you distinct? As Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've been called out of the crowd, not like the rest of them. For them, the rest of them was just people that wanted to be healed or or, or seen or, or, or watch what Jesus is doing, but what is the crowd you're being called out of? And have you left? Or are you just still there? Because, man, God has so much more from you, as we'll see. 
Not only what distinguishes a follower of Jesus as one that's called out of the crowd, but also one that spends time with Jesus. I, I think this should just be like a no-brainer. That's the second thing I want you to see is that a follower of Jesus spends time with him. I don't even need to preach this point. I think it just preaches itself. Look what it says in, in verse 14a. And he appointed 12, parentheses, who he also named apostles so that they might be with him. We're just going to stop there for a moment. That they might be with him. So after calling them onto the mountain, Jesus then formally appoints these 12. And eventually they'll become apostles, which is a very big deal, right? He says, these are going to be the 12 apostles. But before they're sent out, this is what I love. Because literally apostle means just that. One who sent or, or sent ones. So, so I, I, just, I just love the, the text and the way it does itself because it shows us something significant about Jesus. Before they are sent out, they are to be with Jesus. I think that's super important. You see, Mark tells us that Jesus appointed the 12 so that they might be with him. We're going to get to the next part because it continues on. And they might do something else, which is our last point. But the first point is just that they would be with him. So before a disciple works for Jesus, before you as a disciple works for Jesus, before the disciples in their time go and do stuff in kingdom, uh, in the name of the kingdom of God, we're simply to be with Jesus. Before we're ministers of the kingdom, we have to be apprentices and friends of the king. You see, like it's not just about going and doing a bunch of stuff. It's more first about just being with Jesus. Like, how can I represent Jesus in the world if I'm not actively being with Jesus? How can I do all that Jesus has called me to do if I'm not actively in apprenticeship with Jesus? You see, I think we play these really dumb games in Christianity. We're like, I, if you ask me, I'd be like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, cool, what is that? Do you spend time with Jesus? Not very much, I'm pretty busy. How much do you pray and just go before the Lord? Well, you know, I have a family. I think God understands. But what does it look like for you to like actively walk with Jesus? Because the point of being a disciple of Jesus literally means to be a disciple of Jesus. But we play these games in Christianity that, that, that God understands that we're too busy with our kids' travel sports and our really busy lives that we put in ourselves and we're, we're trying to climb the corporate ladder and we're trying to get our kids to everything under the sun because our kids run our lives today. I know all too well as well. And we're trying to do all this different stuff and all of it, we're like, God understands. He knows what I'm going through. And in all of it, we just kind of make excuses. But this is the way that the world actually works in many different ways. And Jesus wasn't just calling 12 disciples to call 12 disciples. No, he wants them to be literally disciples, to be his apprentice, to be with him before they go serve for him, to be known by him and know him before they make him known. And I think that it's something that we're forgetting in the kingdom of God that we believe that what is happening right now on Sunday morning, what Jim spews from the platform or Alex or any other person, that we're thinking that that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And it's just not. 
Jesus calls us into discipleship, not so that we could change the world only, so that we can be changed by him, so that we can function with him. I love this story. I preached it on the first Sunday of last year because it is the one thing that in the last year God wrecked me with in, in so much of my life, this right here. There's this powerful story in Luke chapter 10 of these two women. You probably know who they are, Mary and Martha, two sisters, and they're very different approaches to following Jesus. Here's how Luke tells the story. He says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went to him and said, Lord, do, not do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Can you just hear that in the text? Tell her then to help me. I feel like I just heard one of my children. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This text in the last five years of my life has radically impacted my life more than anything in Scripture. Because for some 15 or 14 years of ministry, I have been doing, 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 because that's what I grew up doing. And there's a lot I could get into in counseling and my childhood and all of that, which brings me to this place. And I just want to work with God and push forward the kingdom of God and grow the church and do a bunch of stuff. And I'm Martha in the kitchen banging pans around. And Jesus is calling me all the while to just sit at his feet. To be with him. And I'll just be completely candid. Sometimes it's taken a lot of work for me just to learn what it looks like to be with him. Because that's not my nature. Man, me and my dad grew up, all we did was work together. We didn't do a lot of being together. Love my dad dearly. So now I look at my heavenly father as a dad that I just work with. But what God is trying to teach me with, he doesn't just want me to do something for him. He wants to actually just be with me. He even says in the text, I will not take away the good portion from her, the better portion. So we have a lot of Christians, man, if I asked you to do something for the kingdom of God, you'd probably be like, yeah, I'll do that. We have a lot of Christians that are like, yeah, I, I do a lot of stuff. I, it's really easy for me to do the church activities. I give, I go to church, I serve in this ministry, I attend a life group, I, I check off all these boxes and I do all this stuff. But the question, rather what we should wrestle with is, man, in all of it, in all of the Christian activity, When's the last time you spent an extended amount of time away from the craziness and the busyness of life and the silence and solitude just in, to listen to God's voice, just to meditate on his word and hear from God, just to be with him? That's a whole different animal. Not that, not that being financially generous isn't good, it is. Not that being here isn't important, I think it's very important. Not that being a life group isn't important. I think that's important to be in spiritual community with other believers that know you and are, are known by you. Uh, uh, not, not that serving in, in ministry isn't uh, a big deal. I think it's a huge deal. But all of those things are not at the stake of or on the altar of being 
And I think we have a lot of Christians today that can do a bunch of different activity for God. Even men really stand up for what, what, what God wants. But when, when God's like just, hey, hey, when's the last time you just woke up in the morning before anyone else in the silence and the solitude and just sat before me, read the word, and just was silent for like five minutes to see if I just might speak. Those are the hard things for me. The busyness, I'm good at. Ask my wife. Sarah's like, slow down. And I'm just like, man, when are we doing this? When are we doing this? I like the busyness. It's the way I'm built. The slowing, the being, has to happen before the doing. And this is what he's asking us to. In order to effectively do, we have to effectively be with Jesus. See, he didn't just call us to himself. He didn't just call the disciples to himself to say, all right, Go! Go reach the world for Jesus. Before any of that, he calls them to be with him. And that's our next point, to do something. But only after they've been, only after they with him, only after they've apprenticed with him for three years did he send them, right? Look what it says in verse 14. This is our last point. Not only the last part, right? So he, he were called out of the crowd. A disciple is called out. A disciple is, be, is actively with Jesus. And the last thing, they're given authority. They're given authority to minister. Like, man, with, I'm, if I'm with Jesus, I have the authority of the kingdom of God resting on me. Look what it says in verse 13, or 14b, the second half. He called them to be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Barjonas. That is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Theodius and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Man, I just wish they picked easier names, don't you? <laughs> you got to publicly read it. It would make it a whole lot easier if it was like, and they picked Tom and Steve and Jim. Ah. But what I really want to focus on is those first two verses. And he might send them out to preach. You see, the goal wasn't just to be with him. It was to be sent out by him. The verse reads, and he appointed 12, why? Why did he appoint them? Why did he call them? Why, why did he pull them out of the crowd and bring them to a mountaintop? So that they might be with him and he might send them. The goal is to come in and be with Jesus. And when we are with Jesus, then to be sent out by Jesus. See, being with Jesus leads to being sent by Jesus. Disciples are to be with him in order that they might eventually do and be for Jesus. Go out for Jesus. And the, the, the going out here that Paul mentions, or Mark mentions, excuse me, is preaching. That The goal is to send them out to preach. See, I just want to give it to you. All of you in this room are preachers, just like me. That, that, that they go out and preach. Now, it's interesting. Most of you, when, I, when you hear preach, because of the way we use it, are instantly thinking of what I'm doing right now and what mainly happens in a, what we would call a pulpit or whatever on Sunday morning here, what we're doing right now. But that's not necessarily... What Jesus has in mind here, Jesus is talking more commonly what you would know as sharing the gospel, heralding the good news, like, like it, 
telling of the goodness of God. So here, he, he, a lot of the preaching that you would read of, even in the book of Acts, is house to house, from visit to visit, or public square, or in the synagogue, as they're having personal conversations with lots of different people. So the word preaching here carries an idea of authoritative declaration. That's what I do on Sunday mornings. That's why I, I carry very highly what I do on Sunday morning. What I say, I better know that it's from the word of God because it's authoritative and it's authoritative teaching or authoritative uh, declaration. That's what I'm doing to you this morning, right? But it's no different. It's, it's an announcement really in the kingdom of God. It's proclaiming a message. Preaching implies something spoken with authority, not just mere opinion, you see, you could go on and tell people your opinion on the economy or how you should raise your children or any other thing, but when you share what the word of God says, it comes with authority when you are declaring it, right? And that's what we're called to do as disciples as we are sent out to authoritatively declare that Jesus has come, the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe. Now, you may not knock on your neighbor's door and be like, dunk, 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 dunk. Hey, Tom, I've been meaning to talk to you. My pastor told me I have the authority to tell you, repent and believe. Oh, okay, appreciate that, Jim. Um, can we talk later? Instantly you see a moving sign next door, people are out of there. Like, I am not being next to the crazy person in our neighborhood. Now, I'm not saying to say it like that, but that's the gospel in a nutshell. Repent. And believe that you've been given kingdom authority to represent Jesus in the world today. Not just in declaring the good news of the gospel, but he says even, not only does he send him out to preach with authority, says he gives the disciples authority to cast out demons. So they have the authority over the spiritual realm. That there is nothing that could come against us that can hinder us, right? In the name of Jesus. Like, man, I, I, I walk with kingdom swagger knowing that I serve the king of kings and lord of lords. And you know what? Satan has no hold on me. Man, when I wrestle with, with spiritual things, man, I, you, I won't say me. You have the power to overcome sin and darkness because Jesus walks with you and the spirit of God resides in you. You have the power to move forward the kingdom of God against all odds that Satan brings against you because you have the spirit of God residing in you and because you serve the king of kings and lord of lords and he's given you the authority. I mean, the end of Matthew, the, the whole crux of what we're called to do and make of disciples in Matthew 28, all authority has what? He says, been given to me, Jesus. Now, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them all that I have taught you. I'm very much paraphrasing, right? But the point is, Jesus says, man, I've got all the authority. I'm the king. Now, you as my people, I've given you the authority to go on in the name of God, to push forward the kingdom of God. You now have the authority of Jesus in you, walking with you. So you, as the people of God, man, when you share the gospel, when you pray with people, when you engage in the spiritual battle for people's souls, this is what you're doing. You have the kingdoms backing with you as you go out into the world you're living in. Man, and when you enter into the battle, you're, you're not under your own authority. We enter into the world around us ministering on the behalf of God and the kingdom of God in the power of God. 
And our, our, our goal is to spread the message of God and the power of the kingdom of God with the authority of Christ in us moving forward the kingdom of God. That's who you are. So much of what you need to understand and digest, we need to understand and digest, is the fact of our identity. Man, when your identity changes, so much of our lives will change. Rather than thinking like, I got nothing to offer, I could never share the right stuff, I can't talk to my neighbors about the gospel because I, don't say the, I won't say the right words, or man, I, I, I can't. Uh, uh, Jim, will you come and talk to my friend because I don't know how to convince them to follow Jesus? Well, I'll just, I can't convince them, you can't convince them, only the Spirit of God can. Like, all of this stuff I hear as a pastor all the time because people don't think that they have it in them to move the kingdom of God forward. And I just want you to know, you do. You have the Spirit of God. You have nothing more than I have. I have nothing more than you have. We have the Spirit of God residing in us and the kingdom of God stamping our lives if we're a follower of Jesus. And we can push forward the kingdom of God. Man, you might fumble over your words as you share the gospel with your neighbor. That's okay. The Spirit of God still uses it. I fumble over my words every Sunday up here and somehow the Spirit of God uses it. Man, you, 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 as a follower of Jesus, can impact your neighborhood. Young people, you can impact your schools. But I'll tell you, so much, I think, is wasted in following Jesus in this realm because of the first two points are not actively being done. We still look like the world. We act like the world. We think like the world. We function like the world. And we're not actively spending time with Jesus. Because I promise you, when Jesus calls you out and you begin to spend more and more time with Jesus, he'll give you the words to say. He'll show you how to interact He'll show you what it looks like to love your neighbors. He'll, 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 he'll spur you on. The Spirit of God will be moving in your life because you'll be participating with him. There's this fascinating verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. As the Apostle Peter is writing to all Christians, he's not addressing pastors or missionaries or whatever. He's addressing the church, all Christians. He says in, in chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, always. So the Greek there is always. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for a reason, excuse me, for the hope that is in you. Just think about that for a moment. Always be ready to give a defense, to respond really, to someone's question in your life about the hope that resides you. He didn't say that to pastors. So Jim, be ready. If one of your congregants has someone in their family that needs Jesus, Jim, be ready to, to talk to someone in a neighborhood that, that one of your congregants knows to share the gospel. Jim, be ready to, no, no, no. My job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. My job is equipping you. Your job is to reach the world. You see, he says, always be ready. But what I've always wrestled with is that presupposes someone's actually going to ask a question. We, we hang our hat in that, man, I got to be ready. I, I got to know all of the, the right verses and the Romans road. And I got I to gotta have all of this stuff wrapped up so I can actively engage with a non-believer. Man, I'm just telling you, start living in a way that is distinct from the world and people will start asking questions. 
That presupposes someone would actually say, man, you seem like you have some hope. The world is burning down around us and you seem like you still have joy. You still seem like you have a hope that is unshakable, that is unknown to the world we live in. What is it? Your family functions different than me. Your marriage is much different than mine. The way you interact with your children is so much greater. You make it a priority to be at church on Sunday. Man, it sounds like you spend time with Jesus. Over and over again, someone might ask the question if we're living in light of the kingdom of God. What is the hope you have, Jim? Oh, man, I'm so glad you asked. I don't have to be that weird neighbor and bangs on the neighbor and says repent and believe. He's asking me what it looks like to repent and believe. What is the hope? And our response is always, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. As I spend time with the Lord and I'm called out from the world that I'm living in, I begin to spend time with the Lord. And in all of that, I should be moving out after being with Jesus, entering into kingdom authority walking in the world as distinct individuals, a peculiar people, so that the world will know that Jesus lives today and his kingdom has come. His kingdom has come today in this world and we're living a part of it. We are actively participating in it. That Jesus reign, that you're a part of and I'm a part of, we should be a part of. Jesus reign brings heaven to earth. That's what I want you to know today. Jesus' reign brings heaven to earth, and you get to be a part of it. I get to be a part of it. Isn't that amazing? Maybe you're like, okay, I just wish I could be left alone. I could just spend time with Jesus. I don't have to do anything. Well, unfortunately, that's not the thing. Man, when I apprentice with Jesus, when I spend time with Jesus as a disciple of Jesus, there's a reason why we're called Christians, Christ. Well, Christians was a derogatory term, if you didn't know that at the beginning. They used to mock the first, the first believers as Christians to make fun of them, little Christs. Well, man, if I'm a little Christ, my job is to actively look like, walk like, and participate like Christ here and now. What does it look like for you? Let's pray together. God, thank you for today and for your time that we have in, in your word, the time that you give us to actively participate in the word, the time that you give us even on earth to continually um, readdress our lives, even myself, God, as I think about my own self, there's active ways that I am not operating in the way that I probably should as being distinct. Sometimes, God, I can look and think like and act like and operate and function like the world. And you know all too well, Lord, that so many times I love getting into your word and studying for this, for preaching and being a part of your church and help you push forward the kingdom of God and seeing people's eyes open to the kingdom of God. But my struggle many times is just being with you, God. So help me, help us, that we might learn to just be with you, not just to be with you, so that in turn we will feel empowered and sent out to bring forward the kingdom of God in the places that we do life. Would you help us, Lord? Would you meet us in that place, whoever it is in this room, as I look out of the crowd or on line? What are the crowds you're asking them to be called out of? What is their distinction? Or would you be with people in this room? Call them. That tomorrow morning's a new day. Maybe it's been months or years or weeks or days. I don't care, God. Look, what does it look like for them just to wake up in the morning or before they go to bed, just to spend some time with you? 
And if they don't know what that looks like, to, to reach out to one of us, Lord, would you, would you woo them and call them? And God, would you give us the spiritual energy to, to leave this place, to be your kingdom people in the world around us, representing you and bringing forward the kingdom of God. It's in your great name we pray, Jesus.